Yesterday, I was a guest on the radio show slash podcast, Where Did the Road Go? And uh, the host is uh, Soraya, and uh, he had a, um, a friend who, I don't know if he's like an unofficial co-host um, or just somebody he has on a lot, like a friend, you know, who he has on a lot of time, the time, uh, named Chris. And Chris, um, we got into a bit of a back and forth about Kundalini and spirituality or aspects of so-called spirituality. And, you know, it's funny because I felt as though I was fairly adversarial toward them in the discussion in terms of, you know, not just saying, yeah, what you guys are saying is right, you know, the get along to get along thing. And yet when I listen back to it, everything sounds amicable and hunky-dory, so... Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I can almost guarantee you that even still, his audience will accuse me of being arrogant and only uh, believing whatever happens to me and not believing other people. Because I've seen this before. Um, When people don't understand the nuance of what you're saying, um, they just hear, you know, sort of an adversarial tone against their hero or their favorite podcaster, or whatever, and they get defensive on their behalf. Um, The show hasn't aired yet. It'll be in a couple of days from this. But I thought, heck, there is a piece of it (laughs) that is worth exploring or expanding upon on this show, which is that at some point, uh, Chris asked me, um, how do I know what I'm saying is true. And I shot back, no, how do you know what I'm saying is true? You don't. I could be lying or delusional. And then he sort of talked over me and I didn't actually get to sort of really make the point. And so I don't know that it's going to translate to people what I actually meant. So I'll give it a shot here, which is... You know, the obvious answer to how do you know what you're saying is true? How do you know anything about truth as opposed to everyone else who talks about truth in their own ways and so on? That's supposed to be, you know, sort of my opportunity to say, well, because I've had these experiences or well, because I'm, I don't know, if I were well-researched on things, which I'm not, uh, then, (laughs) then that, you know, I'm a scholar or something. Because the aliens told me, man, something, you know, some qualification for what I'm saying. And the fact is, there is no qualification because there's still the leap of faith that one must have in listening that I'm telling the truth uh, and not delusional, which is actually not a leap of faith anyone should take beyond if what I'm saying about truth and human wholeness and spirituality or whatever word you want to use, if, if what I'm saying rings true in some way, including upsetting you, <laughs> and especially upsetting you. Like, it's one thing to ring true because you relate to something and you can see it. It's another thing when it, like, irks you so deep down and you don't know why. That's also something, something for you, you know, a signal in either way uh, to sit back, relax, and ponder it on your own. And that's it. So it, 
the leap of faith is only useful insofar as I've said anything at all that affects you in that way or in one of those two ways and makes you want to ask yourself, you know, to inquire within, is this true? So when I answered with, uh, no, the question is, how do you know I'm telling the truth? That's actually a more useful answer for you as a listener. Um, because again, you don't, you can't. What you could do, if you weren't one who want, cares about this enough to, you know, ponder it in your own life beyond some intellectual, you know, I don't know, collection of knowledge, <laughs> you know, storing it away in a jar in your head. Uh, what you could do is just ponder it in terms of, okay, is what this guy's saying transcendent of what I've heard before? Like, does it transcend and include... Um, what Christopher is saying or what anyone else is saying that I am saying, no, that's not the case. This is the case. What makes it the case over that? Like, if you don't have the want to sit and ponder it within yourself for your own benefit, and I say that knowing that that triggers the egoic, like, oh, benefit, desire, eh, but I don't mean it that way. But just, you know, like, you want to know in a way that may transform you. If you're not into that, <laughs> you've at least got to, you know, you're not going to probably do it in, in the midst of a conversation. It'd be hard to do, I suppose, to really flesh out like, okay, what's being said here? But you've got to look back later and go, okay, um, is this more correct, more whole than what I've been told? And in the context of our conversation, it is simply that he's talking about spiritual evolution through time and defending that. Uh, and I'm talking about total transformation in the blink of an eye. And he was asking, but don't you need some sort of spiritual preparation, essentially? But don't you need to follow a path and all that to get to that point? And the answer is no, with qualifications. <laughs> so let me qualify that. Um... No, you don't need to follow a spiritual path. Obviously, you need to be a seeker of some sort. You need to be interested. You need to care. You need I mean, that's the way to put it. You need to have the utmost care so that when you come to the person who says, drop everything, um, your annihilation of your self-sense is the thing that must happen for truth to be the case. For you to be able to hear that and care to hear it, not abandon it or not like just yeah, I'll add that to my personal evolution somehow through the magic of delusion. Um, if you're not going to do one of those two things <laughs> and you're going to hear it, yeah, you have to care to want to hear it. And that usually means being a spiritual seeker. That usually means following paths or following and abandoning paths one after the other or incorporating a whole bunch of stuff into your own path, you know, whatever it is. Um, all of that is generally what happens um, because you care. The problem is that those are all the wrong move. Those are all the wrong thing. And what's interesting to me is, as he said, I think he was talking about, well, it's a Hinduism. So Advedanta, probably mispronouncing that. But in any way, in any event, Hinduism and Sufism were sort of the two contexts that he was using. And I think it was the Hindu context 
where he said, look, they're saying what you're saying. Uh, and he says something like, when mine stops, um, truth is there when mine stops, or so something along those lines. When mine stops, truth is there. And um, that's basically correct. Um, when thought is not in the way, truth be the case if truth exists at all. And you have to frame it that way because you can't foreshadow truth or expect truth, um, or it won't be. It'll just be another thought construct. Um, the problem is, as I kept trying to explain, <laughs> that it's garbage and you've got to throw it away. The Sufism, the Advedanta, whatever, whatever, and me. Like, all of it is garbage to you beyond hearing that. I mean, if you can hear that and understand it so fully that when mind is stopped, uh, truth be the case, if you can hear that so thoroughly that it actually stops you, that's it. That end of seeking, end of all. Right? So that doesn't take time. That takes you out of time, actually. It doesn't take time to get to a place to get out of time, except the amount of time it takes to be psychologically sound enough to hear it and have enough care um, and openness and honesty within yourself to hear it in the way that uh, affects you thoroughly, changes you thoroughly, transforms you thoroughly. Uh, that's it. And what's interesting to me also about this conversation is he kept saying um, toward the end, he's like, I think we're talking about the same thing. And he was talking about, at some point, like Akashic Records and astral bodies and, you know, essentially like the separation of the higher self, the lower self, the soul, or what, you know, all of these sorts of things that I don't talk about or care about. And we're not talking about the same thing. And we're not talking about the same thing on two levels. One, that level. But the other level of, because he was saying in that, that Hindu, specific Hindu tradition, they would say it's all garbage too. They would say, throw it all away too. But again, this gets back to, this is the nuance. It doesn't matter what they say or what I say. It matters that you sit back, you see, and, and he, I'm sure if I were telling him this right now, he would interrupt me to say, yeah, 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 I get it. I understand exactly what you're saying. Because I'd just be repeating myself, right? But that interrupting me to say that you get it, and then go on with life unaffected is how you go on in life unaffected knowing what you know. That's how we do it. This isn't to pick on Chris. This isn't to pick on anybody. It's just to demonstrate the severity of the problem, if you want to call it that, sort of how deeply ingrained this problem is because we, we you know, in normal, uh, the normal way that we think in life, it's like you work out a problem through thought or through even rest and just letting it come to you, you know, or you, you know, sometimes it just comes to you in a dream or in the shower or something like these are all the ways, um, either proactively or passively, uh, personally or impersonally that we, um, work out problems. But this is a problem that isn't to be worked out at all. And this is something that he definitely had a problem with me saying, which is that the brain or the body, if one comes from heart, not brain, but I tend to say the brain is who I am speaking to. The person hearing uh, who you believe is you isn't important. That's the person that needs to shut up and that person can't shut him or herself up. The brain has to understand this so deeply that the brain turns you off. And that part, I think, is ultimately where he's saying, 
you know, I don't believe it's a physical material process. I don't, you know, that whole thing about the brain doesn't ring true for him. And, um, of course not (laughs) because you think you're you because you're talking about various planes of existence, the soul, the Atman or whatever. He didn't use that word, but you know, higher self, lower self, middle self, all kinds of self, never an integrated one self, although we talk about that all the time, right? But all of this more stuff that we want to believe because it keeps us as a self an entity. It keeps us autonomous and it keeps us on a path of so-called spiritual liberation moving. Uh, We want transcendence in that sense to be moving up a hierarchy, a spiritual hierarchy, um, either in sort of a spiritual ecosystem of densities or frequencies or within ourself as we move from lower egoic sense to higher soul self sense or whatever it is. Um, so when he thinks, and Chris, if you're listening, when you think we're talking the same language here, we're not because all of that stuff is irrelevant. If it's true, if anything of, of any of the stuff that we talked about or any of the stuff you just heard me say is true, it will be revealed when you're out of the way and you are a product of your body. I know you don't want to hear that, but you are a thought construct. You are a thought construct. You are a material process. You're a thought (laughs) that believes yourself to be a thinker in control of other thoughts. And I know that's what a kajillion spiritual traditions tell you is not the case. They tell you you're separate from your thought. They tell you to quiet your thoughts, control them, all of that. And certainly that will bring you to certain effects, certain places that are facsimiles of truth that are, uh, you could call them archetypal, you could call them the underbelly of the universe, you know, whatever, and underworlds, I don't know what, but they aren't truth per se. They're, they're, as I say, a facsimile. And I think that's the point where he would say, well, how do you know this? Or he'd say, how do you, how do you know you're right? And I'd say, how do you know I'm right? You don't. Figure it out and find out. Do it and find out. Well, do what? Well, nothing. I mean, this is where it becomes riddly. I mean, essentially, the brain has to see all of this, regardless of you. So what would help that is if you would stop bouncing it, all of you, off of your own ideas, your own background, your own knowledge, and just sit with it and see what happens. And... Um, you know, the odds are nothing is going to happen when you do that because you're still there in the way because you're the person who decided to sit down probably because I told you to, and you're taking that as a directive, even if you're trying not to, I mean, it literally is this fragile, right? Like you have to be the person who is a complete, a blank slate, And honestly that, not because somebody told you, be a blank slate. But the irony is, or the paradox is, yeah, you are only doing it because somebody told you. Otherwise, how would you know to do that? So somehow you've got to get beyond that fact as you sit and ponder this. You have to get beyond that. And it's just simply, (laughs) simply, in quotes, um, 
being aware of what motivates you at all times. That's true meditation. True meditation is being conscious fully, not being, not allowing unconscious motivations um, to move you. And if you can do that, if you can be that aware in the moment, not as an afterthought, not as you look back later and go, why did I do that? But in the moment, why am I this? Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this? Uh, if you can do that in the moment, that's when something may change for you. <laughs> uh, or within, something may change and become you, or you become it, however you want to put that. But again, the you becoming is you dying, uh, ultimately. I mean, there may be other things that happen in the interim, but ultimately what needs to take place is not you becoming something more, or you becoming something less, but you not existing anymore. Because you are a thought. You are a thought construct. And once thought is no longer acting in the brain, thought, which is time, it's brain cells, right? I mean, let's keep this as basic as, and materialist as possible. Thought is brain cells. Brain cells are part of the brain. You are the brain. There is a movement toward heart, which I don't know how literal or metaphorical that is, uh, but it certainly is real in that um, there becomes this, when you're properly, healthily contextualized within, uh, a movement out of your own separate self-sense and into integration with others and with the environment, and you know yourself as um, part of the web of life, essentially. You are that. And that feels, that, that understanding, when it is full body awareness, understanding, and now being, that interconnecting nature being, you know, remembered or come alive, is, is the blissed out nirvana thing that people talk about. Uh, they may not know it. <laughs> they may think that's some sort of enlightenment. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, practic practical purposes, it kind of is. Um, and maybe it's enough, you know, who knows. But there is, uh, that is a movement. That is a personal, if you, you know, I wouldn't call it evolution. I would just call it being healthy. Um, it's no more an evolution than like, I don't know, an operation to uh, make a blind person see, you know? Like, sight is the case of healthy eyes, and if you can make your eyes healthy, you can see better, and that's all. But if we call that spiritual or, you know, evolution or, you know, uh, you can see the mistake being made there, right? It's, no, it's just, it was always there, it was just dormant or broken or unhealthy, and now it's healthy, and you have clarity. So now that you have clarity, now that you're a at a place where you are healthily, properly aligned within, perhaps now one is at a place where one can uh, see this so thoroughly that the brain says, oh, okay, I am properly aligned, I am healthy, I'm feeling good, everything's going well here, but there's still something wrong. It's kind of like being 
you know, you were in an unconscious dream and now you've woken up into a lucid dream. And because you've woken up into a lucid dream, you're like, oh my God, I can do anything in this dream. I'm not dreaming anymore. I am the master of dreams, right? But then there's a little part of you in the back of your brain that knows you're still asleep and is telling you this isn't quite it. You're still not awakety awake. You got to be awakety awake. And that may just wake you up. <laughs> just knowing that so fully that it's like, oh, okay. And then boom, there you are, transformed. Big magical moment. No big deal. All at the same time. So again, let's circle back here. You are a thought construct. You are a thought. Let's keep it simple. You are thought. And thought is a material process of the body. Thought can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. That means you can be healthy or you can be unhealthy. There are various gradations along each line of uh, state of being, you know, either a brain self or a heart self. But we're again, we're trying to keep it as simple as possible. Your thought. Thought is a material process of the body. If there is truth, truth which is not thought, truth which is not comprised of the self or a bunch of selves in a committee doing a religion, if such a thing exists, how will you find it? Will you find it by engaging with other thoughts and other people's bodies? By talking to other people? By reading their books? By listening to their podcasts? Will you find it that way? If truth does not exist in thought, it doesn't emanate from there. It's not alive that way. Where will you look? Certainly not in the religion. So what are the religions then? Well, on their best behavior, the religions may be the experiences of those who have, quote-unquote, found truth or become truth. Uh, but once you commit that to paper or commit that to an oral tradition commit that to thought, it dies because it's not found in thought. So it becomes truth's retelling, right? It's a replica. And it's not just a replica. Obviously, these religions are then built out, right? We pad them out with other stuff. Politics, other experiences, uh, other connections that people make, other thought constructs. And it becomes a whole mishmash of, you know, and on top of that, you know, trying to describe truth to the people of the day, whatever day that is, in the language and in the cultural contexts that they will understand through storytelling devices. All of these are problems. The thing is just shut up. <laughs> Uh, because when we're asking how do we find it, the answer is we don't. We stop looking. Because you are thought, and all you can find if you seek that which is not thought is more thought, is replicas of not thought, inconvenient story form which is thought.
So, you can't see anything. The body projecting you, the body putting this thought construct that's you into the world, needs to hear this so deeply and impactfully that it's over. It needs to make so much complete sense that the thought construct, you know, the thought construct maker, the body, stops doing it because it gets that it can't find what it's seeking through you. And when you sh are shut off, if there is such a thing as truth, that is not a thought construct, it will be the case. This is how timelessness enters time. And thinking about it and writing about it and all of that it just kills it and keeps its corpse here, chops it up into little bits like a serial killer, and calls it truths and ideals. And then we preach about those and we talk about those and we debate those and we go, wait, aren't those paths to truth? No. They're after the fact. They're the spoken about that we then want to be before the fact, the thing that leads us to. And as you see, there is no leading you to anywhere. So if what I just stated is correct, it is more correct than these paths and these truths and these whatevers, including the ones that say what I just said. Because they're old, they're dead, they're dead truth. Truth is living, and how does one access living timelessness except to be living timelessness? To end the thought construct. But it's scary. I mean, if we've built up this idea of a self that is, you know, learning and evolving and replacing one lower sense of self with a higher sense of self and all of that, then, you know... I sound like uh, even more of the Antichrist than to the Christians, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> putting myself on a real pedestal there. Um, but, I mean, that's just it. It's, it's not going to ring true for you because you don't want it to. Uh, because that gets in the way of your project of self-improvement or discovering what you hope is beyond you. But really is just more thought constructs in a universe willing to supply them to you to keep you here. And how do I know that that's true? How do you know that I know that that's true? You don't. So shut up. Shut up, brain. Shut up, heart. Shut up, body. Shut up the listener, will ya? Let's get this party started. All right, that is the show. But speaking of get the party started, I just want to let you know that um, in January, most likely, I'm, I'm hoping, I just want to say this so I don't forget, um, I'm going to be doing a mini-series uh, through OurUndoing.com that is, you know, very Our Undoing-y, uh, but it'll be in the context of so-called alien abductions. Um, it really is in the vein of my book, well, I guess two books. Um, I'm to tell you this, and I'm to tell you this is fiction, and Aliens, the first and final disclosure. So I'm just going to go into depth about 
what these things we call alien are not, uh, what we are not, <laughs> and what it may take, let's keep it a question, to be equals with these beings who seem so interested in us. It's a, you know, it's a tall order, but I've written about this a million times. Uh, but I'm trying to do it in video form for free for everyone. Um, and I may, I will probably do it in small class form in a way. So in other words, like 20 or 30 people at a time who can ask questions and all of that. You watch a video, you have questions, and then maybe I do a, uh, an answer video if anyone has questions. It's going to be kind of informal. It's formal in my own head in that I am uh, going to um, try to be as thorough as possible. But it's really like me just sitting around on a couch talking. <laughs> but, you know, adding in, you know, I'm going to like edit this to death and try to, um, you know, as I say, make it as thorough as possible. But, of course, there's always going to be questions. And so let's say there's between 6 and 12 episodes of me doing seminars, one-hour lectures or something, if, if that's what this is called. Then I would um, sort of live stream those recordings and people could uh, ask questions in the chat or they could email me directly, jeremy at ourundoing.com, whatever it is, um, within these classes that are watching this. And so one week it'll be the lecture, the next week it'll be I answer questions, the next week will be another lecture, the next week will be answering questions. So even though there are six to 12, I'm envisioning, um, episodes of moi as a lecturer, this thing will pad itself out through the Q&A, and I will release those, you know, you know what I mean? So, say I have 30 people watching in a cluster, and then the next 30, and then the next 30, whatever Q&As go on in those, will go to the next group, to the next group, to the next group. And all of this will be free. And then maybe at the end, I'll just release it completely publicly, like whenever I feel like that's appropriate to do. But I think like keeping it small like that is actually probably more helpful for people um, to pay attention. But also, uh, I just don't want to have to sift through troll comments to like figure out what are the real questions here. Um, and I would do this as a live series, like a live live, except that one, my internet is terrible. And that's really what's holding me back. But two, um, I also, like I say, I want to be as thorough as possible, which I can't do live. I can only do when I listen back and go, oh, okay, I need to say this now. Uh, all right, so look forward to that maybe in January-ish at OurUndoing.com. Um, I'm also um, having a little fun with doing a reaction series on YouTube, which I've started. So um, I'm reacting to things in ufology and also spirituality. So, like, watching videos of, uh, the first one was about disclosure, the next one will be about a, a guy making claims about Kundalini, and if you have anything you want me to react to, write to me, jeremy at ourundoing.com, um, or if you watch these videos, you know, you can put it in the comments section there, like, hey, please react to this, and I will see if I can do it. All right, uh, so those are my new little projects. Thank you for listening. I hope you got everything you needed out of this, and uh, be back next week.